something to cling to. And in this life, we need something to cling to, and there's nothing better than the old rugged cross. We'll be in 1 Peter 3.15, and we'll look at a number of scriptures to begin with. Uh, we're going to speak tonight on the same subject we were last Sunday night, defending the faith. And we've got a little, little series going. I don't intend to be in it a long time, but I think it's important that we recognize the fact that there are people around us that are unbelievers and they need somebody to love them enough, somebody who will study hard enough, somebody who will work at it and be patient long enough that we might bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. First Peter 3.15 is the text verse we used uh, for the last couple of weeks and we'll start with it tonight. It says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. The verse says that we're to be ready to give an answer. Now there's an old saying that a fool can ask more questions than a wise man can answer. And that's true, I believe. But we ought to have a lot of answers as Christians. We teach our kids in Sunday school to memorize verses. And as we were younger, we probably, as adults, memorized some too. And while it's said that you can't teach an old dog new, new tricks, I don't believe that uh, old worldly proverb. I believe it's true. When we get old, we can still learn some new things. And we ought not ever be satisfied with being able just to answer a few questions from the Bible. But as Brother Lloyd was talking to me about it just for church, about a fellow that challenged him about a verse in a nice way that he had on his vehicle. And Brother Lloyd invited him to just sit down and nicely took the word of God and showed him a bunch of verses that explained away what his contention was. And we need to study to find that out. What does the Bible say? Study to show thyself approved. A workman. There's work involved. A workman that God can use us. That's what we're supposed to do. Now let's read another, Proverbs 15, 28. Proverbs 15, 28, the Bible says, the heart of the righteous studieth to answer. That's us, the righteous. Now it's not because we're good people, it's because we're saved people. Uh, the heart of the righteous studieth to answer. But the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. And the atheists and the evolutionists and the unbelievers and the agnostics and those who are adverse to Christianity, they're going to say some foolish things. But still, that ought not to make you and me adverse to winning them to Christ. We have to keep on studying to give them the right answer. They may reject it a time or two, or three or four, or a dozen. But we don't have reason to stop believing that God can reach their heart. Now, third verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. As we begin to look around us at the people that need answers and we're supposed to have the answers ready to give as we look at some of those folks and we think, well they're just reprobates they're idiots they're unbelievers they're weak minded or maybe they're too strong minded for their own good or they just rub me the wrong way so fooey on them well, that's not the attitude we're to have in 1 Corinthians six eleven, Paul said he named a whole list of bad traits about unsaved people. And then in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, he says, and such were some of you. 
But you're washed. But you're sanctified. But you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Hey, when we look at those around us that are belligerent to the faith, we have to stop and take time that we look inside and say, yeah, that used to be me. I was that way. Thank God somebody didn't give up on me. And then in Ephesians 2 and verse 2, Ephesians 2 and verse 2, <clears throat> says, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, didn't, didn't we all? Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Hey, there's a reason why they are belligerent. There's a reason why they're resistant to the faith. The devil has a grip on them. And our job is to take the blessed word of God and release the devil's grip. Give them something to hope for as the hope that lies within us. Then one more verse before we pray. Ephesians 4.15, Ephesians 4.15, here's the way we're to address them. Some people will just, they'll get under your skin. You think, boy, this is a goat. (laughs) Well, here's what the Bible says. But speaking the truth in love, but speaking the truth, truth. Yeah, don't, don't soft soap it, don't agree with them, don't walk with them in their belligerent ways. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him all, in all things, which is the head, even Christ. He wants us to grow. The position of the believer is to be one of faith, steadfastness, ready to teach. All of us ought to be teachers. All of us can teach somebody. How did you get saved? What scriptures do you know? Well, if you know a little bit, you can teach a little bit. He says, but speaking the truth in love that we grow and then our position is to be one of readiness to teach, remembering our own past that we were once like them and one of patience and kindness that we might win them. We're Christians holding truth and trusting the Lord for the wisdom to be able to present that truth to those who are resisting themselves Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd bless us in a wonderful way. May the Spirit of God take the truths of the Word of God and bind it in our heart, write it upon the tables of our heart that we might remember it in times of need when we have the opportunity to teach others who are resisting unto damnation. Help us to help rescue them by knowing the Word of truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Sunday school, I, I remember going to a little free will Baptist church in the community where we were. Went to Sunday school a lot of times. Heard some teaching from the Bible. Went to another little church over in Lunenburg. Uh, if you don't know where that's at, it's just the other side of Sage. <coughs> if you don't know where that's at, it's kind of in between Gid and Sage. Now everybody knows, right? <laughs> this, is, this is rural Arkansas. And I went to this little church. It had been an old old school back in the 40s and 50s. It finally shut down. Schools consolidated, and it was made into a a little church. And I remember going to that little church and sitting in there. I mean, it was antique. Everything in there was old school desks and old wooden pews and outside toilets and things like that. And no running water, no air conditioning, no screens on the windows. It was just an old rock building that had survived. 
and they were having Sunday school in there. And I remember being in that Sunday school class. They had a bunch of us kids. We'd sing together. Had a, a, a guy, I guess he's probably a teenager, maybe in his 20s. He'd bring all the little kids in, a, in another room. There was two rooms in that one I call it a one-room schoolhouse, but actually had a partition in the middle, and he'd take all of us back there, and, and kind of like we do junior church here, and he'd sing with us and teach us a lesson and all. In that class were several relatives, because most of us hailed from the same area. In that Sunday school class was John Teague, and John was just a little bit older than me. And, oh, he's probably four years older. <coughs> and John and I would stand and sing together in, in that Sunday school class. Well, I grew up, made a false profession of faith at 13, then turned wickeder than I'd ever been before. Is that wickeder or more wicked? I don't know the conjugation there. <laughs> you know what I mean, though, right? Forgive my Israel County English. And made the false profession of faith, and, and the more I ran with the bad crowd, the less I was interested in God. And I graduated and Went to ASUBB, Brother Chad. Went to ASUBB in 1969. Uh, that was before a few of you were born. And had a biology class. Oh, what was his name? He was uh, a real intellectual evolutionist. And he presented biology in such a way where, you know, he was convincing in the way he presented it that Christianity was dumb and nobody that had an ounce of sense could possibly believe that evolution didn't occur, that creation did. And so I, I became convinced. I thought, man, I want to be as smart as him. <laughs> and I, I began to adopt that philosophy. John Teague was in the school there at BB at the same time I was. And he'd already been in the Army and got out and, and enrolled in college. And we weren't in the same class, but... I was coming out of a classroom one day, and, and we're both from up in Izzard County, so it's kind of neat to see somebody that you already knew before you moved there to live in the dormitory. And so I was coming out of a classroom one day, and John Teague met me there. He knew I had been living like a heathen and living the party life, thinking I was really doing good, enjoying myself. He stopped me there at the classroom door. The rest of the class was gone. He stopped and just chatted with me a minute. He said, Rick, I said, I've been... I've been praying for you. I said, yeah, why? <laughs> what an insult. He's praying for me. <laughs> well, he said, I've been praying for you. He said, I know you've gone through some rough times and, and you've got some rough friends. But he said, I, I just want you to know that Jesus still loves you and, and he'd like to save you. And I said, no, I don't believe any of that stuff anymore, John. I know we used to go to Sunday school together and all that. But I said, I, I have uh, learned that creation didn't take place and evolution doesn't need a God. And so I've advanced to the point where I've dismissed all that stuff. Not interested anymore. Eat, drink, and be merry, and party all you can till you die. For tomorrow we die. I remember John looking at me with a little bit of hurt in his eyes. He was disappointed that I said that. But as I look back now, I'm glad that he was willing to insult me by praying for me, maybe, just maybe, it had an effect somewhere along the line. This is where we lose a lot of our young people. 
I'm talking about at the point where they graduate from high school. They're not under parents' roof anymore. They're ready to, they're ready to blast out into their own, live their own life. And many times because of education, not just in college but in the, in the lower classes now, it's, it's really hammered into the kids uh, that this evolution thing is true. And, and it's almost hard to resist believing that. Because they present it in such a way to make you feel stupid if you don't. And this is where we lose a lot of kids. And by the time they graduate from high school, they're ready to get out of the parents' house, get out of that church, and they many times do leave. Most of them walk out these doors and never come back. And that's why I'm teaching what I am right now about defending the faith, because we need to have some answers. It's not just about evolution. A lot of it's about evolution. And we're going to get into that a little bit more in a later message. But we're losing a lot of kids because they don't, they don't see the veracity involved in the Word of God. And we need to know enough of it, parents. We need to know enough. Sunday school teachers, bus workers, all of us need to know enough of the Word of God that we can present a good argument against the worldliness, against the anti-God movement, and be able to present it in such a way that we're more convincing than the evolutionist. But how can we answer the atheists, with the truth. Because he doesn't even believe this Bible. When you pull your Bible out, he may say, wait, let's don't start there. That's just a religious book, you know, just like the Koran and, and uh, the Vedas of India and all of those things. Don't, don't believe in any of that. Give me what you got, Mr. Christian. And so if he won't listen to the Word of God, we need to have another starting point. Now, eventually we're going to come back to the Word of God Because this is the ultimate truth, the all-encompassing authority. But to meet him on familiar ground is our first point. And it's going to be the basis of the whole sermon. I've got a second point, but it's short. Engage them on familiar turf. Engage them on familiar turf. Find a point where we... That's what Paul did many times. The Apostle Paul would engage them in something they already were familiar with, like like the poets of Crete and so forth. He understood. He knew something about literature. He knew something about philosophy. He knew something about the arts and entertainment. He knew those things. Not for his own good, but he had learned them before he got saved, most of it. But he used it to reach people for Christ. 1 Corinthians 9.22, Paul said to the weak, became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now Paul would do, Paul would do anything short of engaging in sin to reach people. I mean, he would go the extra mile. He would study extra hard. He would walk extra far. He would spend time in an unusual way to reach those. He said, I became weak so I could reach the weak. And to reach the intellectual and the philosopher, I met him on his ground too. So just anything short of sin. I'm not saying go to the beer joint with them or to the nightclub to win them. What I am saying is love those same people that go to the nightclubs and the beer joints. Love them enough to show them the truth in another setting. Paul met the unbelieving philosophers on Mars Hill. In Acts 18, we mentioned this last week, and he he talked to those philosophers. And he presented them some logical arguments. Now true, he didn't win them all, but he won some. In this passage that we just read, 
We see Paul going to great extreme to reach out to those who oppose themselves. If our discussion is outside the Bible at first, that may be the step we need to take in order to get the opportunity later to get them into the Bible. That's where we're headed. Eventually, it's to the Bible. That's where we eventually want to end up. So let's talk about how can we meet the atheist on on his turf? What can we say? Well, we might know something, uh, some arguments that they're going to use, especially if they've been in an institution of uh, of learning where they've learned some of the philosophical arguments against Christianity and the existence of God. I mean, we've got to get them to the place where, where they at least acknowledge that there's a possibility there is a God. There is at least that possibility. See, they may be at the point right now where they say, it's not even possible that there's a God because they've been brainwashed into believing that. They think we're brainwashed. We think they're brainwashed. And so we've got to rewash their brain. There's a Greek word called the cosmos. It just involves everything that exists. The whole universe, anything that you can imagine is involved in the cosmos. Everything. <clears throat> and the universe itself and everything that consists in it. And there is an argument for those people who just believe, well, this, this has all been here forever. Everything's just been here forever. Constant state. No beginning, no end. You know, everything happened as a big bang when the, there was a universe before. It shrunk down to a little point, bigger, not bigger than the point of a pin. Shrunk down that little, then it exploded, and everything started a brand new universe. And it's going to do it again. That's what they think. I don't know what the Bible says, though, and you and I know that, but we've got to meet them on that ground. In other words, we have to show them that without God, the cosmos could not exist. (laughs) There is a cause Every cause must have an uncaused cause. Does that sound confusing? God of the Bible is the uncaused cause. He causes everything else to happen. And without Him, there would be no universe, there'd be no cosmos, there'd be no earth, there'd be no you or me. We argue with the one who does not believe. He won't let us go and show him any verses in the Bible. And so we must get him on, on this familiar turf where he feels comfortable. And he's arguing that, well, this has all just always existed. So, you know, you can't prove there's a God. and You can't prove it didn't always exist. Oh, yeah, I believe we can. This argument where we're defending the faith tries to show that the universe... is not necessary for God to exist. It's necessary for the universe, for God to exist. But it's not necessary for the universe to exist without God. In fact, it can't be. I heard, you've heard the little story about the the scientist who was arguing with God God said, I created all of this, the whole universe. I created this solar system. I created this earth. And I created life on this earth. The scientist said, 
I create life. God said, I made life out of a handful of dirt. The scientist said, I can do that. God said, all right, let's see you do it. So the scientist reached down in a flower pot to get a handful of dirt, and God said, wait a minute, get your own dirt. (laughs) Nothing could exist without God. You see, this universe is moving. This planet is moving. We're moving around the sun. The the earth is rotating on its axis, and we're part of the Milky Way. We're we're, uh, migrating around in the Milky Way, which goes further than the eye can see. So many stars in the Milky Way. The galaxy we're in, there's so many stars out there, they just look like a, a dim cloud. You can't even make out the individual stars at the outer edges of the Milky Way. And the Milky Way, they say, is also moving through the universe. And the rest of the universe is moving too. Everything's moving. Except a lot of Baptists, they're not moving. (laughs) Everything's moving. What caused things to move? Hey, Mr. Atheist, you believe what the scientists say, the astronomers say that everything is moving, the earth's moving, the whole universe is moving. What caused it to move? You see a car going down the road, you don't think, well, that thing just took off on its own. There must be a driver. (laughs) Somebody put gas in that tank. Somebody turned the key to start it or pushed a button. It's moving. Hey, hey, Brother Al, did you ever row up a bunch of dominoes in a row? He's a domino player. He cheats, but he's a domino player. You stack up a bunch of dominoes, stand them on their end, a whole row of them, and you kind of tip that first one into the second one and the whole row of them falls down. They're moving. Did they do that on their own? Or did somebody push that first one? (laughs) Started the motion. There can't be movement without a mover, Mr. Atheist. And so this universe is moving, so there must be somebody, something, some force that started the movement. Hello? Mr. Atheist, good old Thomas Aquinas. <laughs> he, he was a Catholic monk. I probably wouldn't quote much of what he said, but he, he did come up with one good thing out of everything that he did. He made this argument that everything that moves must have a mover. And you and I know that that mover must be God. Because there's nothing else. How could anything else move? Did it just happen to be moving? Or did somebody move that? Is there a mover? Ah, as Paul said to the philosophers on Mars Hill, it's that mover. That's the one I want to talk to you about. (laughs) Some evolutionists suggest that Well, life actually started on another planet. And maybe it was carried here. The germs of life were carried here on a comet or an asteroid or a meteor. And they think think they've answered where life came from, where it came from. What did they do? They just moved the argument from Earth to another planet. (laughs) 
But Mr. Atheist, if it didn't start on earth and you say it started over here on XYZ planet, how did life start there? Let's talk about that. (laughs) Had to have a cause. Changing locations means nothing. Then there has to be sufficient reason for what we see. We're meeting the philosopher, the evolutionist, the atheist, the agnostic. We're meeting him on his ground. So far, we're not presenting him Bible truth yet. We're trying to get him to acknowledge, well, maybe there's something out there. There is an argument called sufficient reason. In other words, when we look around us, around the room and around the skies and around outer space, things exist. So we've got to ask the question, why is there something rather than nothing? Why is there something? W.F. von Leibniz argued that there must be sufficient reason for things to exist in our universe. I mean, why is this pulpit here? Well, because somebody had the concept of building it. And somebody took some tools and put it together. And somebody moved it to this location for the purpose of being a sacred desk from which the Word of God should flow. There's a reason, several reasons. Somebody conceived of it, somebody produced it, and now it's in use. There was a reason. There's a reason why it's here. There is a reason why these chairs are sitting here. What is the reason? So people can sit in them. There is a reason. There's a reason why Jonathan exists back here. It's because of his parents. He was given life and brought into this world. Why does Denny exist? Well, that's a question we're still asking. Sorry, Brother Denny. <laughs> I couldn't let you escape without one, one little poke. <laughs> you ever watch the Three Stooges? Anybody Three Stooges fan besides me? Oh, several of you. Thank you. I'm proud of you. Three, you ever see Three Stooges lined up and, and one of them hits the next one and one of them hits the next one and, and the last one turns around to hit somebody and there's nobody there for him to hit? Well, a better example of this reason might be maybe a 100-car pileup out on the interstate. And Connor goes out to investigate, see what happened. So he goes to the front of the line, the, the last car that, or the first car that, or the last car that wrecked, and he says, what caused you to wreck? And, or beside the first car up there. He said, well, the guy behind me ran into me. So he goes back there and says, what caused you to wreck? Well, the guy behind me ran into me. Or what caused you to wreck? The guy behind me ran. And he goes through that a hundred times. But sooner or later he's going to come to the very last car in the line. You see, things can't go on like that infinitely. There has to be an answer. Somebody lost control of their car without somebody hitting them in the back end. And that's the guy that caused the whole accident. There cannot be infinite reasons. There has to be a sufficient reason though. What happened? The 
finally he asked that last guy, what happened? Why did you wreck? I was texting on my phone. <laughs> that probably happens a lot too, don't you imagine? <laughs> That's what caused it all. There's sufficient reason. What caused this universe? Not an accident, but there is sufficient reason. And that sufficient reason, there is a reason for everything that exists, and it must be, that reason must be God. The God of the Bible. In the beginning, God created. We have the uncaused cause. Why does God get by? without having a cause? Ah, good question. It's because God, by definition, is an uncaused cause. He is the all-powerful one. He is the eternal one. He didn't have to have a cause. By the very definition, you look look it up, you study it out, and you'll find that God didn't have a cause. (laughs) He didn't need anybody to cause him. He didn't have anybody to create him. God caused everything else. You say, but what if something caused God? It couldn't because everything that's created, everything that exists must be caused. You see, you come to the end of that pileup on the freeway sooner or later. There has to be a cause that was uncaused. And God is the cause. And that's where we're trying to get the unbeliever, the atheist to, the one who thinks there is no God. We've got to get him to the place where he begins to reason and think, well, you know, this concept kind of makes sense. Ah, that brings us to big point number two, and this is my short one. (laughs) Bring them to a place of facing the possibility of God when they've exhausted all of their arguments and they face up to the fact that just maybe there is a God. Now we take them to the Scriptures. Now we're able to show them something that does make sense. Now we're able to show them how that God created the earth and man's sin. Now we're able to show them how that we have inherited a sin nature. Now we can show them how God is and man is separated because of man's sin. Now we can show them the cross of Calvary, why Jesus loved us enough that he wanted us to be in heaven with him and why he went to Calvary's cross to die for our sins. Now we can present the love of God and the loving God who sent his own son to the cross so they might have eternal life. Now they're willing to listen. Now we can present the resurrection Now we can show them how they too can be brought up out of the grave after they die. This transition from meeting them on their turf to bringing them to a place where they're willing to consider the claims of the Bible. And we're going to get into a little bit of that also. Are the claims of the Bible true? Once they recognize that maybe there is a possibility that maybe there's a God, now we can get them into the scriptures where we can show the proof from scripture that God is real, miracles are real, the resurrection is real, and since the prophecies he predicted came true, all of them that we have seen fulfilled already without fail have come true, that means the rest of them are likely to be true as well. Now we've got him on the ground where we can get him looking at the scriptures and showing evidence of a real God, of a God who loves them, and a God who's willing to save them. In Isaiah 118, the Bible says, Come now, God speaking, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. 
Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. We have to convince ourselves or let God convince us that we can reason with them. Even if they start out belligerent against the faith, they need somebody who will reason with them patiently, lovingly, and show them the truth. You say, but what if they resist? Well, they will. (laughs) What if they don't respond? They won't. They'll reject, most likely at the beginning, just like you did. And then what what do we do? Well, there's there's a principle in the Bible of teaching that we have to embrace. In Isaiah 28, 10, 28, verse 10, this is the principle, the It says, for precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little, and that's our teaching. We have to be patient enough to present a little, build a little, present a little, build it up more until we get them to the place where the Holy Spirit of God can speak to their heart. See, they may be very cold-hearted when we begin to talk to them. And they don't hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. But once we begin to work on them, on their turf at first, and then we bring them to the Scriptures, line upon line, precept upon precept, teach them a little bit this week, a little bit next month, invite them to church, teach them a little more, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, it will build until their resistance wears down. Will we win them all? No, the Bible says broad's the way to destruction and narrow is the way to heaven. But we can get some of them. That's where we come in. Learning the scriptures. Study to show thyself approved. Reaching out a little bit further than we have before to embrace some ideas, some scriptures, some ways to teach that we haven't considered before. It'll be work. But isn't a soul, isn't a soul worth it? Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd bless us, Lord, as we consider those who oppose themselves and are headed in the direction of hell. Help us to be willing to sacrifice some time in study, some time in teaching, some time in praying, some time in reaching out to those who may strongly resist. And Lord, we'll need the Holy Spirit of God and His power to be able to reach them. Man's devices will not do the trick. But Lord, if you can help us just to gain their ear and bend it a little bit until they're willing to listen to the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God, Lord, we pray that you'd empower us to do that. Our heads are bowed.